This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's a nutbag. Just because a uh, fucker's got a library card doesn't make him a Yoda. Well, get on with it, man. Just don't stand there. You get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up. No man should ever see. No, I don't feel all right. None of us feel all right. Alright. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Jesus fuck. That was like 20 minutes. 15 minutes. Was it? I don't know. It seemed like a long time. <laughs> especially since we weren't recording. <laughs> Take number two. I'm here with Leah Salcedo. Uh, I think we just went 20 minutes into this fucking thing and wasn't recording. So welcome to another episode of Discoursers, where we are technically apt. All right. Thank you for having me. Indeed. Indeed. No worries. At least we're warmed up now, right? Yeah. Yeah. This works. So, you like salsa, let's go with that again. All right. <laughs> salsa bachata. I don't know if you have to go through the whole thing again. All right. All right, cool. Um, so, yeah, so I am part Colombian, uh, but my I never really grew up in a Hispanic household. We didn't really speak Spanish or really emphasize uh, Hispanic culture. My dad, you know, is a first-generation immigrant, so he just wanted to embrace the American culture and, and just be American. Um, you know, so I've always felt kind of distant from my heritage. I always wanted to, you know, I've always wanted to speak Spanish um, and, you know, never really was consistent with it, even though I took classes and all throughout school and stuff. Mm. Um, so when I saw a Facebook event for a bachata class uh, in Tallahassee over at Studio D, you know, I just decided to put myself out there and just do it. <laughs> right on. Even so you think you could like, was it just that it looked fun or do you think that you could you can catch a little like tradition maybe like where part of your family was from? Was that yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, there was, uh, yeah, both of those reasons were my main reasons. I wanted to feel closer to my heritage and I just wanted to have fun because I love dancing mm-hmm. and I was terrible at dancing. I couldn't move my hips. I couldn't. I didn't have any rhythm. I was your stereotypical white girl that people make fun of all the time at parties and on the internet. Um, so, you know, I was ashamed of the fact that I couldn't dance well and I really wanted to be able to dance well. Mm-hmm. So I started going to classes and yeah, it, it took a lot of training for me, honestly, to get to where I felt like confident dancing and in my own body. It took me honestly probably about eight months before I really felt that I could go to any dance social anywhere and dance with anyone and not, you know, have those thoughts of, you know, what if I'm not good enough or what if I embarrass myself? Right, like, a, like an imposter syndrome. Yeah. yeah, and it took like, you know, I, I signed up and joined a team at Studio D and I went to every class and I went to every dance social and just practiced and I'm really grateful for the dance scene here in Tallahassee because everyone it's it's a smaller dance scene and there's not that many clicks and especially at Studio D the instructor Miriam is really welcoming really encouraging to new dancers Mm -hmm. so even though yeah I I knew I was a beginner and I wasn't (laughs) you know I wasn't great um they still wanted me to keep coming and to to practice and and she let me join the team even though I was a beginner and she trained me from from the foundations up and uh, it felt really good and and yeah now I have this confidence in my body that I never had and I can dance anywhere even outside of Latin events just going to like a rock show or something Mm -hmm. reggae or funk and just dance and people come up to me and they and they love it they compliment me and just love how free-spirited I am and That's that's what I love most about dancing is just having fun and making people happy, making myself happy, and I, yeah, that's what I love about it. I feel free. I feel in the moment when I'm dancing. Right. Yeah, I think that's the important part of any, any sort of like skill or hobby or job or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Is like if you don't, if you don't have those kind of feelings toward it, 
yeah. then it's like a secondary thing that you should probably focus on. There's probably something yeah. that you're more interested in mm -hmm. than what you're doing. Yeah, you know? it's definitely a big passion of mine. And, and for a while, you know, like that first year and a half, it's what, you know, got me up in the morning and kept me going. Um, just knowing that in, you know, on Thursday is gonna be bachata class and then bachata fever afterwards, you know, I get to dance and, and you know, dance all my stress away. You know, it's kind of like you, you get that runner's high or that high after you do like some hot yoga, just those right. endorphins. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's what I love. I would always feel amazing and on top of the world and like I was beautiful and, and fun, all that stuff. And that's really all I want <laughs> out of, you know, a fun hobby like that is to right. just feel friggin' amazing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I get the this, this similar rush getting the shit beat out of me at Kung Fu. <laughs> But that's a whole different psychological problem. That's a, the masochism involved in that is, is, is kind of ridiculous. Uh, but it's very freeing. It's good to know that you can take a beating mm -hmm. and you'll wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and you're fine. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like a lot of people walk around life and they just sort of go like, oh, I don't ever want to get in a fight. You know, I don't ever yeah. have to avoid this at all costs. Mm -hmm. You know, but once you realize like you can take a few punches to the face until it, until it gets too bad. Yeah. You know, then you're not, I'm not saying go out and fight, or like, <laughs> you know, find fights and like pick yeah. fights and shit. But uh, there's definitely, there, there's no longer an irrational fear of it. Yeah. You know, of, of any confrontation, really. Because yeah. you're afraid that like, especially with men, it's more so with men, mm -hmm. I guess, that, that that option is always on the table. Mm -hmm. Always. Yeah. No matter, you could be a, your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> but the option is always on the table that you could fight at any time. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the fuck it is, but it's always there. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to the feeling of, you know, I, I did martial arts. Actually, I don't know if you know this about me. I did martial arts when I was a kid, elementary and middle school. Mm -hmm. um, Karate. Yeah. No, Taekwondo. Yeah, Taekwondo. Ah, okay. Everybody's so. sticking Taekwondo. <laughs> Everybody. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, and I was a kid and stuff, but you know, I, it felt empowering to know like how to fight. And especially in my last few years, I joined like this little ragtag school of, you know, just kids who were at, we trained at a previous school together, like a commercialized, you know, thing. Uh, we call it a McDojo. <laughs> That's funny. That's, yeah. Yeah. And then I, you know, I'd quit because my friend had got me into it and she moved. Um, but then one of the instructors was starting his own, you know, school out of his garage and he invited me to be a part of it, which was really cool. I guess he liked my attitude or something. And so I trained with like six other, you know, boys my age and I was the only girl. And it was so much fun. We, we learned jujitsu and all that stuff. And, you know, it was really fun. Um, and it just, yeah, I, to be able to like wrestle with guys and like pin them and stuff, um, that's really empowering. And I, I can relate and I feel like I need to get back into a self-defense class or something. Yeah. Just to, yeah, yeah. be able to self-defense. It's a good outlet as well. Not only just like with the self-defense, but it's always, a, mm -hmm. again, with like the, just your psychological responses yeah. to stuff. It's because that's mostly it. Mm -hmm. Like you could, yeah, sure, physical, if someone's like very much bigger than you or like better mm -hmm. at boxing or better at martial arts, but it's a lot of the psychological uh, foundations of, are you ready for it? And when mm -hmm. you're ready for it, if, you, if you're immediately ready for something and you do something immediately, a lot of times you don't have to do anything major. Mm -hmm. You're just already ready for it. Yeah. Before, because most people that are attacked, it's by surprise. Yeah, and that's and they, a, that's freeze the thing. Up. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like if even if you don't have a lot of moves, if you have the confidence that you can be able to defend yourself no matter what, mm -hmm. it's that calmness is an advantage mm -hmm. instead of just like freezing up and screaming and then it's too late. <laughs> you're <Right>. dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yep. Exactly. It. Next thing you know, you're in the back of a van labeled free candy <laughs> and you're on your way to the black market. <laughs> Or at least your kidneys are. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so you say so you're part Hispanic. You're also uh, your mom was Jewish, mm -hmm. which makes you Jewish. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. Uh, we, we, you know, I'm 
it's kind of the same thing with the Hispanic heritage. We we did we didn't really emphasize it a lot in our household. My dad was Christian, so we more focused on going to church and and stuff because that was important to him. Um, but I went to we went to Temple for a little bit, and I went to Hebrew school for like one year, but then I didn't want to go because I didn't want to learn Hebrew because you have to learn some Hebrew to get bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to do it because Wait, it was, is, the, is the bat mitzvah, is that for women? Yeah. Okay, is it the same, same process? How uh, rude. <laughs> didn't silence your phone? Sorry, it's usually silenced. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but I think it's the same process. Yeah, you just, you learn, you read, learn how to read parts of the Torah and you have a big party. I really don't know, honestly, what goes into it because I only did Hebrew school for like a year. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't want to learn a language. I didn't want to spend extra time after school going to... I didn't really understand it when I was a kid. But then when I was in seventh grade and everyone was having their bar and bat mitzvahs, I was super mad at myself for not, you know, just putting up with it. And then later, as I got older, I felt... Worst Jew ever. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the thing about Jews is, is we're cool about that. You right. know, like, if, if you're in the club, you're in the club. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're super orthodox or if you are just, you know, Jewish right. by blood and you don't even celebrate the holidays. You're still Jewish and you're still part of the club. Yeah, you're just automatically inducted into the Illuminati that rules the world. Yeah. Got it, okay. <laughs> yeah, you still get a free plane ride to Israel for the uh, birthright trip. Is it just a plane ride or is it like hotels or anything? Um, I think, I actually think it's everything, but you have to put down like a $200 deposit that you get refunded. But yeah, I think everything is covered. I'm not sure. Well, someone was telling me that they also use that as a time to try and match make people. Yeah. Like, don't you want to marry another Jew? Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, that is what it is for. It's it's to keep Jews, to keep the bloodline strong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Which is funny because that's exactly what Hitler was going for. <laughs> How ironic. Well, we got to repopulate after yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> that's true. That Everyone, is true. Everyone's been trying to kill us for all these years. <laughs> we got to keep it going if we want to keep up with it. That's true. Hey, don't look at me. I'm not trying to kill any Jews. All right? <laughs> Good. I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> I've already had one Jew on the, on the podcast, so. And she's still alive. <laughs> as far as we know. Oh, yeah. As far as everyone knows. Just don't look at my trunk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I had a brain fart there for a second. Uh, so, let's say uh, you're, you're you're from Florida. Yes, grew yeah. up in West Palm Beach from the age of two. Um, grew grew up in the suburbs of well, I didn't grow up in the suburbs of West Palm Beach. I I grew up in the suburbs of Lake Worth, which is a little bit south of West Palm Beach. But mm -hmm. I just say West Palm Beach because most people, unless they're from South Florida. Don't know where right. Lake Worth is. That's like like people outside of New York City. They're like, where are you from? New York City. Yeah, yeah. It's just easier. Yeah. And if people want to know, you can elaborate further if they ask. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, grew up in the suburbs. Kind of a boring childhood, honestly. But you know, it was a good it was a good life. My parents, you know, did everything they could to provide for me. Sent me to, you know, we had good public schools, which is kind of a plus of, of mm -hmm. like living in the suburbs. You know how. Public schools are paid by property taxes, so mm -hmm. if you live in a good county, your schools are gonna be more funded. Right. So I, I went to good uh, schools um, growing up, and I love school. School's amazing. <laughs> wow, um, okay. I, I excelled in school. Um, are you, gonna, are you gonna go back? You said you, you said something about going back, back for your masters. Yes, yeah. yes, I do want to go back uh, for my masters, um, but I want to go back. I want to pay my way through. I don't want to take out loans because I took out like thirty thousand dollars in loans for my undergrad. Mm -hmm. Even though I had scholarships, which is ridiculous, I had two scholarships. Um, I still had to take out loans for the uh, for the tuition and then living expenses. Even though maybe I could have taken out less money and like worked more, but I just 
didn't understand loans when I was 18. Nobody does. Um, so that's, now that... That's why so many people get in debt trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so now... Free money? <gasps> right? That's exactly what I did. I was like, yeah. cool. Like, I still worked and stuff because I like working. I don't like to j just not Jesus. have a job. Okay. Uh, you know what? I take back my statement earlier that you're a bad Jew. <laughs> you love work and you love school. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely picked up a few traits there. But I'm bad with money. <laughs> oh, wow, you just ruined it again. Oh. Don't worry, I'll, I'll get there. I'm on, I'm on the path to getting financially uh, stable. So yeah, so when I go back to grad school, I'm thinking about doing online part-time school. So oh, and, then, and this is for uh, social work. Yes. Like, yeah, social yeah work. I want to get my, I want to get licensed to be a clinical social worker. Um, mm. So you got to. Uh, go to grad school and the cool thing about going to social work school like as an undergrad is that it cuts two semesters off of your master's degree um, so grad school will only be like three semesters and then a licensure process where you do supervised counseling and then mm. you take a test and then you're licensed and you can practice private therapy mm -hmm. so that's kind of my goal but I want to I'll, I'll take my time with that you know I'll go to online part-time uh, school and just kind of pay my way through working um, and just yeah just take my time because I'm young I'm 23 so I mm -hmm. you know I re I'm really not in any rush to become some there you know to become a therapist really young because I want to get job experience I want to get life experience I I, just, I think life experience is very important for stuff like that like yeah it's very difficult to identify with people that you're trying to help if you mm -hmm. have no idea yeah. what the hell they're going through. Definitely. Yeah. Especially when you have, you know, parents and mm -hmm. all this other stuff. We have a couple of kids and they're older and you'd be younger and Yeah. Yeah, yeah that that's one of the things that is discussed a lot in social work school is you're helping people, you know, vulnerable populations and you know you're like a young white person trying to do that it can be hard sometimes for the client to you know build a rapport with with the social worker because right. just of all the cultural and age they've been fucked over by so many white people <laughs> is what you're saying probably <laughs> yeah like oh great another white person awesome <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, that's a uh, that's a noble choice in uh, in career. I hate when people say that, honestly. No, it it is because it, it pays dog shit yeah. money. Well, that's no matter what... where you go. Like you yeah. can even be in like a nice place, like living in a nice place, and it still plays pays bad money. Yeah, I but mean, that's why it. I want to become licensed because mm -hmm. then you can set your own rates. Mm. You know. And yeah, be like your own boss, not working for some agency that's gonna overwork you and underpay you. Oh wait, they have like a, you mean like a private? So Yeah. Really? I didn't yeah. know that was a thing. Huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that's, that's the goal. <laughs> so in that case, would you take some sort of like government insurance money for that? You can. Okay. Yeah, yeah. you can. For people who like need assistance, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, you can. Um, you can do a variety of things. My mom is, uh, she's a private psychotherapist, mm -hmm. um, and she's ha she just started her own private practice uh, last year. So she's kind of in the works of building uh, it up. And yeah, she does, uh, I think she takes insurance for some of her clients, and then she does a uh, sliding scale for some others. And mm -hmm. then, um, you know, her business partner is trying to encourage her to, to uh, you know, charge more money for you know people who can pay but Ooh. my mom is, is so nice and agreeable that she does you know she wants to charge people what they can pay but that kind of balances out though you know what i mean yeah. like for the people who actually can pay it yeah would pay help pay for the people yeah. who can't afford exactly. the full price so it's actually a pretty good system exactly yeah indeed so yeah that runs in the family huh fuck on people's heads <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you didn't bring your dog today. Yeah, I I feel like I should have. I don't know why I didn't. I usually bring her everywhere with me. Right. She, she's the light of my life. She's, I've had her, I adopted her two years ago when she was age seven. And she is, she's a cool dog. 
Yeah, I, she's really taught me a lot about unconditional love mm. um, and that I can yeah. take care of another being mm-hmm. and love another being. That sounds kind of dark. Even after you, even after you have to pay thousands of dollars for. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dental on a dog. She's worth it. Yeah. All her yeah. teeth. All her teeth were rotted out. Well, most of them. I got like I think thirteen teeth extracted in the past Ooh. year and a half. Wow. So she. But it's good, you know, because uh, teeth problems can lead to like heart problems. Right. So it's the same I, about people. Yeah. As well, the oh, plaque yeah. and everything that comes off. Yeah. There, yeah. So I take my dental health very seriously, and I did that for my dog. Um, and it gives me peace of mind that she'll live a longer life. Because right. she already is pretty old. She's like nine, but she's a small dog. So they live longer, right. maybe. I'm hoping she'll live to like 15. Mm-hmm. I'll be happy if she lives to 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 15 is normally around the time when if they are still alive, it's about that time. Mm-hmm. They're like, kinda, yeah. Kind of give it up. Yeah, but she had a bad diet her whole the first seven years of her life. So mm. hopefully... The work I do with her, it's going to prolong it, I don't right. know, hopefully. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times, just like with people, it's quality of life. Yes. Definitely. That helps out a lot. Because you have the people that like, chain smoke you know, like, <laughs> for like most of their lives, and they're like still alive when they're like 99, <laughs> 102 years old. Just because they, they just never gave up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were always like, "No, I'm still here. I'm still alive. Because <laughs> you know? some people just walk through, walk through with like numb. Yeah. You know, that'll lead you to an early grave, man. Yay. Early grave. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. Nice. Pretty awesome. proud of that. Me either. <laughs> nah, never, never had one of those. I guess the just say no to drugs campaign worked in elementary school because I just said no to oh, cigarettes. Dare? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it was dare by the time I was in elementary school. Oh, I see, think. Now, now you're making me feel old. <laughs> Back in my day. <laughs> but they still had the just say no. And yeah, I never understood the appeal of cigarettes because everyone who smoked cigarettes would be like, don't smoke cigarettes, it's awful. Yeah. And Pretty I'm like, much. okay, yeah. take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, if you meet someone, like, if I meet someone, that, like, if, when I was 15 years old when I first smoked weed, mm-hmm. and they had the weed and I was like, hey, how is that? You know, like, should I smoke it? They're like, no, it's fucking terrible. Like, don't do it. It's I'd be like, okay. I probably wouldn't have ever done it. Yeah, like, right? Yeah, with everything else, people like, oh, yeah, drink this beer, smoke this joint. It's going to be amazing. So you're like, okay, that sounds good. Yeah. But no one has ever said cigarettes. Yeah. Try this cigarette. It's amazing. Oh, this you're gonna has really it. helped up my life so much. Mmm, <laughs> yeah. Mmm. <laughs> Yeah, man, addiction is a motherfucker. Oh yeah. Oh, dude, I've I've I've, I've, I've been chain smoking for like probably going on twenty years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably cut off at least seventeen years off my life. <laughs> That's okay. That's the bad seventeen years, you know. Where you gotta wear a diaper all the time, and you know. <laughs> Would you say like have there been periods of your life where you tried to quit? I quit for like two years. Okay. Yeah. Quit for two years, and I'll still quit every now and then for like a month, mm-hmm. or like two months, just to kind of cut back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then I'll start again. I always have excuses and justifications, like, yeah. "Oh, I'm just busy," and just, "Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I can't get through. I, I can't be angry today because I got things to do," you mm-hmm. know. And uh, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. always a bunch of excuses. And you would, so you would use cigarettes to calm your anger sometimes. Yeah, even though it has the opposite effect. Yeah. Really, it's a stimulant. Yeah. And really, most of the time I use it for consistently staying, like, on a high cognitive level. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like being on coffee all the time. Yeah. And, it, I mean, it's actually proven. It's like one of the only, there's only, like, two positives to smoking. Mm-hmm. Which don't outweigh the whole <laughs> cancer and... <laughs> COPD and you know fucking pneumonia and like gasping and having to be on oxygen and all that. But uh, the two things are uh, one helps clear up acne. Hmm. That's actually been proven. And two, it helps you focus more. Yeah. Because it's I can't remember the exact receptors, 
mm-hmm. in your brain, but it definitely increases the way. Like, like for instance, in uh, Stephen King's On Writing, mm-hmm. one of the things, like, he used to do a shit ton of cocaine and, like, all this other stuff. Like, he, mm-hmm. he talked about how he was writing books and he would have a trash can next to his desk <laughs> that was just full of bloody Coke spoons and, like, bloody Kleenexes as he's, like, typing away hundreds of thousands of words, you know? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that wasn't, that didn't hurt my writing as much as quitting smoking did. Mm-hmm. Because you just, you notice that when you quit smoking, you're just a lot more tired. Mm-hmm. than you were before. Like I can go, I can go like right now when I'm smoking, I can go on like four hours of sleep, do a podcast, go to a comedy show, <laughs> and then also maybe write some of a short story. You know? I'm yeah. like, yeah, 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 let's do it, yeah. When I'm not smoking, I'm like, ah, I can do like half a podcast. Yeah. That's all I got, hit me. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of, of bad stuff about people when they quit cigarettes, you know, how they, they will like dream about it even if it's been months after they quit cigarette smoking um so i'm glad that just reinforces the fact that i'm glad i've never even picked up a cigarette because i would probably like it honestly because i like Mm. i like caffeine um i do even though for me caffeine you want one of these kid (laughs) you want one kid peer pressure (laughs) everybody's doing it I, I have honestly been considering, not not like seriously considering smoking cigarettes, but just from hanging out at the Kava bar all the time, mm. being able to like go outside to smoke a cigarette. I like that idea of like, you go outside to smoke a cigarette. Yeah, that's one of the nice things about it too. And that's mm. how you meet a lot of people that way yeah, too. Yeah, it's, it's social and, yeah. and I've been like wanting to like buy a pack of cigarettes and just like, you know, give it out to people or sell it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, yeah, it's like I would social. say no, because sooner or later you're going to have it on you and you're going to feel stressed and you're going to be like, ah, nah. maybe I nah. should smoke one of these and then next thing you know, <laughs> you're over there fucking lighting one cigarette off the other one. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably just not a good idea, but I have no desire to smoke cigarettes. Uh, like I was saying about caffeine, it, I like caffeine, but it really doesn't have a reliable the reliable effect on me that I want it to, you know, mm-hmm. like that improved focus. And I, I'll have that sometimes. I'll probably have that one out of every 10 times. Mm. But I love it so much when it does happen that like I'll, I'll try and drink it when, you know, I have to get something done and then it doesn't really have an effect on me. And sometimes it'll make me tired. Right. It's annoying like how it just has a variety of effects on me and like you're rolling a dice every time yeah yeah i can want to take a nap or i can really get shit done (laughs) right and i i you know there's a lot of factors that go into it you know you gotta eat and you gotta for me it's like if i want to get stimulated off caffeine i have to like have had a good night's sleep i can't like get three hours of sleep and be like all right caffeine wake me up that doesn't work for me you know actually drinking drinking caffeine uh before you take like a power nap Mm -hmm. you wake up awesome hmm because the caffeine is still kicking. Like, as soon, there's no, like, groggy wake up. You know, it's just like a power nap. Mm. You wake up. And I've done it a few times. I'm not very good at napping. But I've done it a few times, and you wake up, and you're ready to go. Just boom. You're on it. Yeah. So, hmm. It's nice. That, that, you that might make sense. You drink it literally right before you go to sleep. Yeah, that might make sense, because there have been times where I drank a cup of coffee and then went to sleep. And then, I mean... I can't really think of a specific time, but mm-hmm. that's that's pretty cool. I might experiment with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just recently read this book called The Freedom Model for Addictions. <laughs> um, that was a hell of a transition. I know, right? Uh, anyway. It just kind of relates to what we were just talking about, um, you know, how and how the whole idea around addiction is pretty much wrong is what the book says it's kind of a crazy idea you know because Mm -hmm. we have we have this culture where everything is an addiction you know like cigarettes and alcohol and even like cell phones and stuff eating that's a big addiction that people you know are you know struggling with I guess um you know everything's like an addiction these days um and in a way it's like damaging because the book says that 
there's no such thing as like addiction is not an outside force that compels you to use the substance. It's not like you're out of control. Like that's a common theme in a lot of uh, you know recovery ideas. Like, like, like you have this demon, like yeah. like, a, like another another entity within you that's like, no, it's not your fault. Yeah, it's the other entity's fault. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they they do. They personify it as like. They personify this disease of alcoholism addiction. They personify it as like an entity inside of you that is you, but is also kind of separate from you. Mm -hmm. And it compels you to use substances out of control. Is this somehow related to like the, the ego and the id? Like Freudian concepts? I don't know. If it's not directly Um, connected, then, you know, I mean, that's basically, that's basically like the kind of the darker, yeah, I mean, Side, like according to Freudian. I mean, I guess but. you could you could relate it. You know that everyone, it, yeah. I guess you you could say like your desire to use substances is kind of like your id. You know, wanting mm. to to satisfy those base cravings. You know, um, I, I guess you could say that. But then you know, like the recovery. You know, your recovery is kind of like your super ego mm-hmm. telling you, you know, to stay abstinent and. And um, and then you kind of figure out how to live with that in your ego, I guess. Right, kind of to balance it out. Yeah. Instead of your, instead of whatever what we'll call it, whatever it might be, uh, telling you like being very disciplined. Mm-hmm. It's like no, no, you can't do this, no. But that that in itself creates like a the the powerlessness mm-hmm. that uh, I believe that book was talking about. You were telling me about. That. Yeah, yeah, the powerlessness, the first step of the 12 steps of, of 12 step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, yeah, that's, that's they, they emphasize powerlessness as, you know, like the, that's like the, uh, the first step. That's what you do to get initiated into this, this society. Um, yeah, and that, and that concept is emphasized throughout culture. Um, it's, yeah. It's just a thing that is in television, it's in uh, books, it's in stories. Um, I'm watching this show called This Is Us, Mm -hmm. and it's a fantastic show, but there's a huge storyline about how alcoholism runs in this family, and the the grandpa had it, and then the dad had it, and now the son has it, and they go to AA, and they get sober, and they, they turn their lives around, and relapse, and all this stuff, and then... So, and in Shameless, the ninth season of Shameless just came out on Netflix, and mm-hmm. there's a whole AA storyline in there too. Um, so, you don't even have to like go to 12 step groups to really get the idea that there are people out there who become slaves to this substance. Mm-hmm. And they become, ter- a, they, yeah, they, well, they become a slave to the substance by denying that they are a slave to the substance. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Uh, you admit it, but you're denying at the yeah. same time. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you, if, and, and the whole, and I feel like the whole like, uh, stigma against, you know, heavy usage of drugs and alcohol is, it plays into that, you know, cause it's illegal to do, uh, most drugs, you know, out of prescription, um, you know, like the hard drugs. Wait, and- it is? Shit. No. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it it's socially unacceptable to, you know, like do heroin and, and meth and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. or even to drink large amounts of alcohol, you know, that's it's it's looked down upon, um, even if it's, you know, a person above 21 and they're not driving or doing anything. Mm-hmm. It's still looked down upon. Um, and <clears throat> I forgot where I was going with that thought. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it happens. It happens to me all the time. That's the whole point of the podcast. It's not supposed to be smooth. It's not supposed to. It's just two people having a fucking conversation. Yeah, and that's it. I I like this because this is kind of why I wanted to do this podcast with you is so I could like kind of get my ideas. Like I could rehearse my ideas, you know, because I I have had experience with. Uh, AA going to a 12 step group mm-hmm. and my exp- you know and I recently left it 
Um, you know, I was in it for a little over a year of, you know, got a, over a year of, quote, sobriety. Um, and do, did, they, do they, like, track you down after that? Do they try and, like, find you if you don't go? No, a few people have reached out to ask me if I'm okay, you know, kind of to see if, if I stop going to meetings, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, not... That's sweet and stuff, you know, that they, they genuinely care that if, if I started drinking again, like, they, they would be worried and they would want me to, like, come back to meetings and stuff. Right. But that's, that's the whole thing is, like, it, after, like, I, so, so my main problem with the 12 Steps group was the powerlessness thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's a few, uh, there's some good stuff, you know, that said, and learned in some of the literature and, and from some of the people, but I, my main thing is the powerlessness because that is just, it's not true. You're not powerless over a substance. Right. You are in whatever you choose to, you know, whatever you choose to do, if you choose to put alcohol in your body, mm -hmm. that is your choice. And you right. make that choice to continue using it, you know, to use it to excess or to, to stop using it or to adjust your substance use. Mm -hmm. I always knew that in the back of my head because I had been to social work school and the whole big, one of the big theories in social work is um, empowerment. You, you try to empower your clients into self-determination, which is them determining their own choices, basically. Right. They choose their own path. You know, mm -hmm. when you're a therapist, your job is not to tell your clients what to do. Right. Get your shit together. <laughs> because then that'll be a hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because then they're not going to do it. <laughs> right. That, that's how it usually works with people. Yeah. Your, your your job as a therapist is to is to help people understand their options and to understand help them figure out what they want to do with their options, and that that's kind of. And that's completely opposite of what they do in, you know, 12 step groups is they, they tell you what to do. They tell you not to trust your own uh, ideas and, and, you know, choices because that's what got you into AA is you right. made bad choices and now you are here. So you got to do everything the opposite, of, you know, you, if you, if you still want to drink, which a lot of people do when they get to AA because a lot of people are forced to go for like right. probation DUI, reasons probation, yeah. yeah, or to get out of like a jail sentence or something. Right. They are forced to go to AA and get like their court card signed. Um, so where was I going with that thought? Uh, so they tell you, so they tell you what to do and then a lot of people don't want to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, go out and start drinking again and then they, but now that they've been exposed to the recovery ideology of I'm powerless over this and they heard all the things that people say like, oh, you're gonna, it's progressive illness. That's another thing I don't like that they say. It's a progressive illness that it gets worse, never better. Like right. you can't adjust your substance use once you've already abused it. Right. <laughs> you know, so people will go out and drink recklessly and, mm. you know, have more consequences. And that was actually proven like with, uh, a study that was done, you know, about how people in certain professions, if they get in trouble, they're forced, their employers can force them to go to AA or treatment. So they did uh, a study where they had like three groups of people who were sent to 12-step treatment and then like, I think like group therapy and then like cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. like group therapy that wasn't 12-step based and then like cognitive behavioral. Right. And it showed, you know, they followed up with them afterwards to see their substance use and all that stuff. And the binge drinking for the people who had been exposed to 12 step mm -hmm. was like higher than right. the other groups. Right. And because once you fall off, you have no power to, to exactly, quit it again. Exactly. And then the suicide rate was also higher too, or the mm. suicide slash death rate. I think. I think it was a death rate was right. higher for that group too. But the but suicide was a part of the death rate. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Because that's another aspect: is people act like they're all happy because they're not drinking anymore, mm -hmm. and a lot of them are lying, and then people think they're not doing their sobriety well, so they just rather than drink alcohol, they kill themselves. That's a real right. thing that happens. It's yeah. very well known. 
Um, they think they should just automatically be happy now that they're not drinking. Exactly. It's like, wait, I, I did everything that I was supposed to do. Why am I not happy? Exactly. Because that's like, another part of the 12 step. It's a cult, basically. Mm-hmm. It's And it's not just about stopping drinking. It's about stopping drinking and then being a spiritual 12 stepper mm-hmm. because you got to keep doing that or else you're going to relapse. That's it's it's all contingent upon spiritual maintenance. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. So, so if you if you start to lose belief mm-hmm. within that system mm-hmm. and you've already you already have the core thing of mm-hmm. being powerless and then you lose belief in the system itself, the structure, the AA 12 steps or whatever it is besides the powerlessness because that's like a major mm-hmm. core of it but you lose track of everything else, then you're lost. Yeah. That's all you had. Yeah. Like your whole life just fell apart. Exactly. And now all you have left is alcohol. Yeah, you're you're doomed to yeah. go back to drinking. It's kind of like a death threat, basically. It's a death sentence that if you don't keep going to meetings and, and keep remembering why you quit drinking alcohol, then you're gonna, then your disease is gonna start tricking you, like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It right. was so long ago. You know, you can do it different this time. And then, you know, that other part of you where it's like, well, I'm powerless over these thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then you just, you, and then rather than have one drink to see, do I really want to still do this? You drink and then, oh, I've lost this amount of years of sobriety. I might as well just drink a bunch because I'm powerless. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a weird psychological thing that like, it, like, it's so, uh, I don't know the word to explain it, but it's 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 really scary, honestly. Um, but back to what I was saying about the uh, the three different groups that went to different treatment. Right. So binge drinking rate and death rate was higher for AA groups, but then the recovery rate was like the same across mm-hmm. all groups. Right. And it's like if if you're if you give someone a medicine and then you know. So there's so there's this term called spontaneous remission. It's it's the remission of you know an illness. You know like the common colds has like a hundred percent spontaneous remission. Because right. even if you don't take any medicine, you're still going to get over it over time. Right. And so if you say for there's a disease that has like a fifty percent spontaneous remission rate, you give them a medicine, and then the people in that group fifty percent get better. The medicine didn't do anything because the same amount of people still got better. Right. There wasn't a significant amount of people getting better. And so mm-hmm. if the spontaneous remission rate for, you know, people with alcoholism, quote alcoholism, right. is five percent and then five percent of people get sober with AA, mm-hmm. that's not a five percent rate success rate, that's a zero percent success rate. Because the people who get that's sober a base. Exactly. Yeah. No matter what you do, even if you don't go to anything and stuff, yeah. it's the same way. The people yeah. who were gonna get, who were gonna stop drinking, were gonna stop drinking, right? No matter what, right? Um. Huh. So, do you think? Do you think that the program uh, AA? Do you think that it could be utilized if it was only about the early stages of quitting, and then they like let you? evolve or get passed into something mm-hmm. else like created a more advanced system that's a little more loose not as mm-hmm. not as strict mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's there's definitely benefits i feel to being a part of like this group where you have a mission to to stop drinking you know it helps me mm-hmm. in the first six-ish months you know just to be completely uh sober from alcohol it it really yeah the 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 people that were in the charles manson cult felt the same way (laughs) they're like it helps me (laughs) yeah and i've heard the same thing about like scientology i watched the joe rogan podcast with leah remini about scientology and the way she talked about scientology how when people are like outside of it saying oh this is a cult why are you in it and she was saying well you know we're just trying to be better people we're just you know doing all this good stuff it's mm-hmm. like i can understand like how you want you know it seems like such a good cause when you want to uh 
be a better person, you want to make better choices, so you join this group, and that's like everyone's mission, and you're all in this together. Right, and, and they're always usually welcoming and warm, yeah, at least in the beginning. Yes. Oh yeah, it, <laughs> exactly. You have to be like really welcoming to the newcomers. The newcomers, the most important person mm -hmm. in the room, is another slogan. Right. You know, because you want them to keep coming back and right. get indoctrinated basically mm -hmm. is what happens um so you know it it can be helpful to to you know to to kick the habit you know because that that's that's the real root of addiction is it's a habit right you know yeah you it's hard to break habits you know it, it takes consistency and and you got to yeah. make choices like after a good meal i want a cigarette when I yeah. wake up, I want a cigarette. Before I go to sleep, I want a cigarette. Like there's these triggers throughout yeah. the day, you know. Like yeah. I get. It's like a ritual. I finish writing an article for work. I want a cigarette. Mm -hmm. It's like a reward, but a reward that's killing me, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> yeah, and so like that. Yeah, it's like it's a becomes a ritual, becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. Those are the another thing in the in the freedom model. It talks about you know the the habit aspect of it. You know, like how. You know about like those brain scans, how it shows that uh, people who use, you know, like drugs heavily, their brain changes. Right. You know, like those are a big, a big uh, piece of uh, information people use to sell the uh, the disease model of addiction. You know that it changes your brain. So now that your brain has changed, you can never use that substance again safely. Right. Or any substance. Right. Um, we know what I've never understood is that. <laughs> They call it a disease, but isn't it more of a syndrome? Yeah, some people can describe it that way. Uh, I was definitely on board with that before I read the Freedom Model. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it is more like a like yeah like a syndrome, like a, like a disor like a behavioral disorder. Right. You know, it can be described that way. You know, there's lots of different theories. Like, you know, there's a theory that uh, addiction is caused by trauma, and you relive, you you kind of create this this safe routine of using the substance as a way to cope with your trauma. You know, Russell Brand is trying to popularize mm -hmm. that theory. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of it... But it's also, it's one of the only, it's one of the few remaining psychological mm -hmm. problems that are still called a, a disease. Yeah. Everything else, they stop calling it that. Yeah. And, and, and that just kind of lends itself more to the powerlessness again. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you say syndrome, or you know, like psychological problem, or whatever. As people are like, well, that, that that makes it a choice. Yeah. You know, whereas with disease, it's like, oh, I, I can't control that. It's yeah. a disease, duh. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's it's easier to be a victim of a disease because then it absolves you of responsibility. Right. Um, yeah, and it's a syndrome. Yeah, it's it's kind of like in the middle, I guess, of like between like something you can't control and something you can control. Um, you know, but the freedom model basically says it. It's a choice you make based on your your perception of your options. Mm -hmm. If you think that, you know, drinking, you know, a bottle of wine every night is going to make you happier than not drinking a bottle of wine every night, then you're going to continue drinking a bottle of wine every night. But if you can right. if you can f evaluate what you really want, you know, you can change your preferences mm -hmm. and you can change your perception of what will make you happier and that is how you move on from addiction they they kind of just it the book kind of makes it seem like they just minimize like oh it's easy <laughs> like this yeah. isn't hard yeah. you don't struggle with it what makes you struggle is all this mis misinformation about right. you're powerless you have no control over this you need help you need therapy you need support groups you need to do research on trauma and all this stuff mm -hmm. And when really you just need to make a choice, and if and that it's more long lasting right. to, you know, to adjust your substance use or abstain from substance use, if you can really look into your heart and like make that decision to, to make the, to do that to do the actions. Right, and stick with it. Yeah, and stick. Stick with, with it. the action of like I'm just not gonna drink, mm -hmm. and then stick with it no matter what. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, you know, some people have been on it for so long that they may die. Yeah. from DTs, but that's fair, that's rare. It's rare yeah. that people drink. That's, that's a lot of fucking drinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, usually people will like die from an accident or something while drinking. Right. Or yeah. choking on vomit or right. whatever. Yeah. 
usually with something else about like pills or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, because I was just thinking that, I mean, those two things, like one, definitely not, like name it something other than a, a disease. Because that definitely adds to the, just because mm-hmm. the nomenclature of something is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you say, uh, like, it, like if you drop, like if I were to drop my phone right now and I say, oh, look what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. That's how some people put it. It's like, oh, look what happened to me. Yeah. It's like, no, it's like, look what I did. Yeah. That's the actual, what, the, like, the, the words you should use, you know? Like, yeah. look what I did. I dropped the phone. Yeah. Not, look what happened to me externally with, I, I had no choice over this, you know? Right. Like, God, why? Yeah, exactly. And even if you don't sky. believe in God, you just blame it on some, like, fucking weird force. And yeah. I think that's why people like to remain spiritual and religious. Mm-hmm. It's because they've always got that thing. When they drop their phone, they can always go, oh, it must have been the devil. Or, oh, yeah. you know, must or have this been. was meant to happen always. There, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe my ex was going to call me and I dropped my phone and it broke and he couldn't call me. You know, <laughs> it's meant to be. Yeah. It's all because I'm a Pisces. That's why. <laughs> oh, out of man. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the disease model is actually it's it's profitable you know because then you can mm. charge people when they go you know to detox you, that charges their insurance so there's a big thing about like the, re, like rehab centers yeah, like yeah rehab centers you know are money they're so lucrative you know mm. they're billion dollar industries um and it so that kind of plays into it that the insurance agencies and and the, the business profitability you can make off of keeping people addicted, you know? And yeah. I don't think this was the intent, you know, when, when you know, Bill W. first started AA. Well, he was also taking a bunch of LSD when he yeah. came up with the idea. Yeah, so, he, I mean, I, he still kept his sobriety time too, even though he was tripping hard with mm-hmm. Aldous Huxley. And well, they, they, I don't know what they were doing. They were trying to see if they could, uh, well, that's actually what got him sober that's what had him that's what made him start aa was that he had a spiritual quote he had a psychedelic experience basically in the hospital with the belladonna treatment i think it is it's Mm -hmm. like this it's a it's It's a psychedelic yeah yeah and he had a near-death experience you know on it because you something like that he saw god and um that's what led him to start aa and also he he was kind of a con man he wanted to to write the book Alcoholics Anonymous to sell mm-hmm. so he could grow the fellowship and make more money. Well, he's probably hanging out with Aldous Huxley and was realizing that Huxley was coming out with these amazing books and he was a shit writer. So he's just like, oh, I gotta come up with a religion. Everybody believes that shit. Right. So, uh, uh, <laughs> right. That book is, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is pretty poorly written. It really is. Um, so yeah, I guess he was kind of a con man and he and I guess the the treatment industry just kind of followed suit mm-hmm. you know it it pays to 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 keep people sick basically and that's why the disease model is so helpful to them because it keeps people sick and even after right. you get sober for a period of time and you don't want to drink again and you have all these friends who don't drink and it as if you slip up, you know, if you if you don't go to meetings, if you get busy with a relationship or a job and you s- start hanging out with people who maybe drink and you get the idea, well, maybe I can do it. I've been sober like five years. Right. I'm good. And then you drink. All of a sudden, you're like, uh-oh, I unleashed the demon of craving and exactly. I'm doomed to, you know, my disease is, is still there. It's always there. They say it's like a terminal illness that you only put into remission by staying sober mm-hmm. so it's always there and you you can pro- it'll and it even progresses even when you're not drinking is what some people say in in the rooms they say it so it like builds up the amount of drinks you're supposed to drink <laughs> it's like all the drinks right now that you're not drinking you have to drink them later it's kind <laughs> exactly. of a dumb theory yeah jesus yeah they, so it it's not scientific but you know right it, it, but the psychological yeah exactly it, yeah. so yeah, so I'm glad I'm doing this podcast and getting all of this out because I feel like I want to bring this. Uh, I want to use this experience I had and all this knowledge that I'm gaining. Mm-hmm. I want to 
I want to help people. You know, I want to like I want to be a therapist and I want to be able to help people who are kind of stuck in this this trap of go, you know, going to rehab, getting out, you know, just going back to rehab because people will go through rehab several times and then still be using drugs and drinking alcohol. And you see the call with their own religion. <laughs> that, that. That's that's the lesson we've learned here. Scientology, AA, come on, it's it's all right yeah. there. I really if they can do it, you're smart enough to do it, trust me. I I really honestly kinda wanna be like Jordan Peterson. <laughs> like what he's doing, kinda te- empowering people to take responsibility of their lives. Well, that is what yeah. I want to do and that that's always that's kinda always what I wanted to do. Yeah, but you never finished the fucking book. What book? Twelve rules. I'm I'm getting to it. <laughs> no, it's actually good to take your time. Yeah. It really is. Like even if it takes you like a whole year, mm-hmm. some of those things they they don't settle in as easy as yeah. easy as they should. You know, you'd have problems kind of like it took me six months. Yeah. Of reading it like every day to like really let some of that stuff truly sink in. Yeah. You know, and I remember immediately. Uh, the the clean your room thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's fucking stupid. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Oh, I'm gonna clean my room. It'll change my life. Oh, let's fucking I'm like watching videos, you know, mm-hmm. of Jordan Peterson because when he got like, really popular, and I was listening to Sam Harris at the time, <laughs> and uh, fucking I was like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna try it. So I clean my room. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. Just, just clean the room. And woke up. I was like, wow, this is pretty organized in here. I feel organized already waking up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then, so I clean the rest of the house and I cut, keep fairly clean in here. It's mm-hmm. not super duper, not squeaky clean or anything. Yeah, but, it's nice. Yeah. But I mean, I also don't have a lot of shit. So it's not very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, just go, like waking up, going to a spot, everything you need is there. Mm-hmm. Like if I already clean the kitchen, set the coffee up for in the morning so because i work from home Mm -hmm. then all i have to do is push a button (laughs) that's it that's efficiency you're half asleep you push a button and then you come in here i turn on my computer and everything's clean and everything's nice it's organized and you can get your day started it's very nice Mm -hmm. like i would recommend people read the book absolutely yeah definitely from a from a social work perspective, how how would you kind of utilize utilize like Peterson's mm-hmm. style? Mm-hmm. You know, I really don't know because I like social work. Um, you know, there's a lot of good theories within it. Um, but in a way, I feel like Jordan Peterson's a little bit different from your traditional social work ideology because he. I mean, I guess not. Um, because he's a little more harsh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He he is a little more harsh and can be confrontational. Um, you know, but that and I'm, I'm not saying that that's not a part of social work because there's it definitely is a part of like counseling to be able to confront your client if they're having you know contradictory thoughts and behaviors and stuff like that. It's it's definitely. You know, and I'm a pretty agreeable person too, so I don't think I would be able to to be like Jordan Peterson. Um, so you think you're too nice? What you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I am, but you know, I I feel like I could uh, not, and not that being nice or not being nice is important mm-hmm. as much in counseling. It's because you're not you're trying to you're really just as a counselor, you're supposed to kind of just be a springboard for your clients, you know, like you 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 kind of summarize their thoughts, you you point out things you notice. There's, it's not really, uh, you know, there's no judgments really that are supposed to be drawn, um, you know, but I did notice when I was in social work school, there was a lot of, you know, uh, victim kind of stuff victim identity kind of stuff which mm-hmm. I don't like you know when when you're working with uh, vulnerable populations you know they're they're vulnerable but in a way that doesn't that doesn't make them inferior which I, I don't like you know that that 
oh, you know, this person is, is this way because they're a victim of their circumstances, you know, which is, which can be true, you know, definitely there is, there are things that happen that people, that happen to people that they can't, that they have no control over, right. you know, but I don't really think it's productive to, to, you know, to kind of validate that victim mentality. Well, to, it's, it's not what happens to you, it's what your response to that. Exactly, yeah, yeah so it's... It's a very sto... I'm like, I've been reading a lot of stoicism. Yeah. And that's very, like, Marcus Aurelius mm -hmm. and a lot of those guys, and, and they that's pretty much yeah. what they say over and over and over again. Yeah. And I've kind of internalized a lot of that. Definitely. Yeah. And it's not to say that, like, you know, if you get, like, pissed off in traffic because somebody cut you off and they're brake checking you and, like, all this other <laughs> shit, you know, like... You're allowed to get pissed off. Mm -hmm. Just realize that, let it let it flow, and realize that, like, all right, I'm angry for a reason. Why mm -hmm. can I control this? You know, because technically no one got hurt, mm -hmm. and I shouldn't be as angry about it. So I need to think about this for a second. I am going to not waste my energy mm -hmm. on staying within this damaging emotion. It's yeah. not to say that all anger is bad. Yeah. Because sometimes anger can be very good. Mm -hmm. uh, revolutions, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Sometimes you just got to get angry enough to burn shit down. <laughs> like that's how, <laughs> sometimes that's the only way to solve things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely that uh, taking control of yourself as yourself mm -hmm. instead of having that separate demon or that yeah. just, like separated ego id. And, yeah. You know, being pulled in two directions. Yeah. Yeah, just like being a cohesive person. Right, because you are you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's very simple, but it's very complex at the same time. You yeah. know, like you're not, you are not making decisions for another you. Mm -hmm. Or your other you is not making decisions that you can't control, unless you have like, like disassociative, multiple disassociative disorder or something. Yeah. I don't even know what they call that nowadays. But dissociative. Multiple personalities. Identity disorder. Yeah. Oh, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. They change it every year, so. I don't yeah. Know. Politically correct. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of something I want to explore with uh, grad school and stuff. And it's just, because I feel like social work is a really, like, broad field, you know, like, any... I mean, yeah, there's like a code of ethics you have to abide by, but you know, there's a lot of like ideology and stuff that gets taught in social work school that doesn't necessarily need to be used, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, like, like what I was talking about with the, with the victim mentality, you know? So I feel like Jordan Peterson is more, he, he, yeah, he kind of calls, he kind of calls out to that part of you that is not really acknowledged these days, which is your sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, what, what can you, what can the world do for you? It's what can you do for the world? Right. You know, that it's balancing rights and responsibilities. Exactly. Because your rights are my responsibility mm -hmm. and my rights are your responsibility. <laughs> That's, you know, we have to like, without my responsibility towards your rights, you have no rights. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like as far as a population, as far as us singularly, you know? He says that a lot actually, Peterson. Yeah. In a lot of his videos. But yeah. It's not what your country can do for you, <laughs> but what you can do for your country. <laughs> but that would be good. That would be good though, because uh, Peterson, not that he only speaks to the male crowd, Mm -hmm. But he definitely appeals more yeah. to the male crowd, just from the perspective that he's coming from, because he is a male. Mm -hmm. You know, so to have that like counterpoint of the, not counterpoint, but like the, just the, the the balanced side of it, like the more feminine side of it, yeah. would actually be a good touch. Yeah. Maybe you could actually do real feminism. That would be great. <laughs> right? <laughs> Instead of the fucking like wannabe feminism we got nowadays. Yeah. So I have a lot to learn on my journey, but it's just, it's kind of cool how like all the elements of my life kind of all seem to work together with just, you know, me on my path to just try and have, just try and help people, try and have a positive impact on this world, um, you know, and just live my life and live a good life and yeah i don't know that seems like a good place to leave off <laughs> that's 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 a positive cool. note right there yay all right well that was leah
Joey. Yay. <laughs> I think that's actually the first time my name has been spoken on this podcast. <laughs> Oops. Are you... Yeah. Oh, you blew my cover. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, the only people listening to this fucking podcast are friends anyway. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, uh, we, we just hit. Hi, uh, friends. We just hit 100, uh, 100 listens Ooh. on all the all the podcasts so far. So, which is five, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's pretty cool pretty cool Ooh, blown right. up <laughs> yeah that's it uh so yeah that was uh today's episode of discoursers there's always one coming out every other monday on time always no matter what <laughs> and as always oh god check out the website www.discoursers.com it'll have the post it'll have a lovely picture of leah up there and uh, all the social media links for YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, and your mom. (laughs) And as always, go fuck yourself. (laughs) That's it. Thank you. Oh, man. I gotta pee.